All right. Love to watch those expressions. They are so excited. But then so are you right now, right? Okay. Pray that our worship today has uh, allowed you to open your heart up to sing praises to God, to speak with Him in your heart, to um, gather around the table and to meet our Savior in that sweet communion. Also pray that now we can open our hearts to hear the Word of God. We're going to be looking at a story that sometimes gets kind of lost in the shuffle. It's a story that only John tells us. You know, those of you who read your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, fairly regularly realize that John tells a lot of stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell. Uh, we think for one reason, besides his agenda, his theological uh, outlook that he was presenting, uh, he, already, he said, you already know Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he was the last one to write his gospel, so he gave us some other information as well. This story comes from the last week of Jesus' life, after the triumphal entry, as he and his disciples are waiting there in Jerusalem for Passover to come, so that Jesus might eat that last Passover meal with them. Uh, let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Remain standing for the song that follows. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, but what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. May God bless the reading of his word. Two weeks ago, we commemorated the 50th anniversary of an event that in many ways changed the course of this nation. On March the 7th, 1965, 
Between five and six hundred civil rights marchers set out on a walk from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, Alabama, seeking protection for black, black Americans as they registered to vote. Now, the events of this march were set into motion by an event a couple of weeks before that where a young man, a young black man, had been killed trying to register to vote. The march went well until the group crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge into Dallas County, Alabama. And there they encountered a wall of state troopers who were acting under the orders of the governor of Alabama, George Wallace, to stop the protest. As they squared off, the protest leader named Hosea Williams tried to speak to the officers but he was rather curtly informed that there was nothing to discuss. And most of you know what happened next. Seconds later, the troops began shoving the demonstrators back toward the bridge, knocking many of them to the ground. Tear gas was fired, nightsticks were brought out, and dogs were used to disperse the protesters. The words of Martin Luther, Martin King, what am I trying to say? Martin Luther King Jr. came to mind. Words that he had spoken before. Let them get their dogs. Let them get their hoes. For we will leave them standing before their God and before the world splattered with our blood. It is necessary to bring these issues to the surface, to bring them out into the open where the whole world can see them. And into the open they came. At this particular march, there were television cameras. At this particular march, there were news reporters with their cameras. And that evening, on the evening news, this nation saw these pictures. This nation had to come face to face with the injustice that prevailed. This nation had to come face to face with the violence that injustice brings. The whole world saw the pictures. This day later became known as Bloody Sunday. This day in which the world looked upon the result of the policies that this nation had decided to follow. This day, they finally saw where these things were going. And this day, they were appalled. Just eight days later, President Lyndon Johnson sent the Civil Rights Voting Bill to the Congress to be signed. This day changed everything. As he presented that bill to the Congress, he said that he deplored the violence of which these people in Selma, Alabama had suffered. The world looked upon these events. The world was appalled. There was another day when the world was brought face to face with the ugliness and violence 
that its ways lead to. A day in which all of us are called upon to look. And all of us are called upon to make a decision as to which side we are on. Are we on the side of force and violence? Or are we on the side of love and mercy? As appalling as the events of March the 7th, 1965 were, we are faced with the even more appalling events of this day. In our text today, Jesus invites us to understand the cross in a different way than we normally do. He invites us to see the cross as making clear the difference between the way of this world and the way of our God. And he asks us to look upon the cross and answer the question, and which side are you on? The story begins after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They were there to celebrate that final Passover that Jesus was going to celebrate in the body with his disciples. And as the story continues, our attention is drawn to the fact that there were some foreign visitors in the town. John calls them Greeks. Really don't know what he means by that. Some people says, well, they were uh, Jews who lived out in the diaspora. They were Jews who lived in Greek-speaking areas, and they had come back to Jerusalem to worship at Passover. Others say, no, they were Gentiles, Greeks, who had converted to Judaism, proselytes, and that's why they were there. But it's possible, too, that they were just out-and-out foreigners, that they were Greek people, not Jews, who were drawn to this celebration. Maybe they're like tourists seeing what's going on. Maybe they're because they were drawn to the way of God in worshiping and in praise. But anyway, these Greek people went and, and found, it's interesting, they found Philip. Because evidently they had been told, did you know that one of the disciples of Jesus has a Greek name, Philip. And so they seek Philip out. And they say, we want to see this Jesus. Jesus goes, or Philip goes and finds the other disciple that has a Greek name, named Andrew. And together they go to Jesus. And they say, these men wanted to meet you. These men want to see you. And so there Jesus stands with his Jewish crowd around, and now here are some Greeks too. And as you know, when the Bible talks about Jews and Greeks, together it talks about the whole world. Jews, Gentiles, Jews, and Greeks. So Jesus was standing there with the world's attention. And he said something that changed what he had been saying up until this time. What he said this time was, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you've been reading the Gospel of John up to this point, what is it that Jesus kept saying about his hour? He kept saying, My hour has not yet come. 
He says it several times, starting all the way back at that wedding feast when his mother was really pushing him to make some more wine so that the wedding host would not be embarrassed that they had run out at the wedding feast. Remember that? And they're saying, come on, Jesus, you can do something about that. And he says, my hour has not yet come. And other times as it went along through his his ministry, he would say, my hour has not yet come. But here with the Jews and the Greeks before him, There, before the final Passover, he makes the bold statement, the hour has come. The hour has come for me to be glorified. He continues by describing what that glorification is. He talks about dying so that life might happen. He uses as an illustration a little grain of wheat. He says, you know, you've got this one little grain of wheat, and if you hold on to it and keep it, that's all it'll ever be. But if you put this grain of wheat in the ground and it dies, out of that death comes life. He said this to indicate what kind of death he would die. For he knew that his death was necessary to bring life. Not that he was looking forward to this. Did you hear the part that we read where he says, my soul is troubled. Uh, I'm tied up in knots about this. Jesus was God, but Jesus was human. No human actually looks forward to death. And Jesus didn't either, especially knowing what kind of death that he would suffer. My soul is troubled, but what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, he says. I'm not going to say that, because this is the very reason that I have come to this hour. Therefore, what I say is this. Father, glorify your name. And then he offers us that very different view of the cross. You know, in the other Gospels, and in Paul's writings, and in Peter's writings, all through the New Testament, we have different ways presented to understand the cross. You know, when you first, and you stop and think about it, and think, What is it that actually happened on that cross? How do I understand what was going on in these events? Well, several explanations are offered. The cross is so big of an event in human history that you can't just explain it away in only a few words. You can look at it this way, you can look at it this way, you can look at it this way. And all of those ways bring some understanding to us about what was really going on when Jesus died on the cross. For example... We often speak of the cross in sacrificial language. That that cross was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. The people of of Judah, the people of Israel, had been schooled all the way back to Moses. Well, really all the way back to Abraham. All the way back to Noah. All the way back to Adam and Eve. That sacrifice was necessary for sin. And therefore, here is the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice that was to end all sacrifices, the perfect sacrifice for sin, the, the, the one sacrifice that was actually effective in removing sin for our lives. That is one way to look at the cross, is to look at the cross and say, there is the sacrifice offered for me so that I might live. Another way to look at the cross is to use economical language. I owe a debt that I can't pay. 
I owe so much to God that I can't pay my debt off. I don't have enough currency of life or of anything to pay this debt. Jesus tapped into this when he told that parable. Remember that one of the guy that owed millions and millions of dollars to the king? And the king demanded payment and he said, I can't do it. I can't pay you back. And the king forgave him his debt. We sing a song. I owed a debt I could not pay. Right? He paid the debt. So we think about that in terms of economical language, that I owe God so much I couldn't pay it, but Jesus paid it for me. So when we look at the cross, we can think of it in that way. Here is the payment of the debt that I have incurred against my good and righteous God with my sinful life. Another way we look at the cross is in legal terms. That because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion against God, we have been sentenced to death. What, is the wa- what are the wages of sin? Death. Therefore, we earned those wages, didn't we? That is the payment that we deserve. However, even though we have received a sentence of death, Jesus stepped forward and said, I'll serve that sentence for you. I will take your death upon me. I will die in your place. And so when we look at the cross, we realize that's my cross. That cross was made for me to hang on. But Jesus said, I will hang on the cross for you. I will pay. I will pay the price. I will serve the sentence. So those are three ways. There are other ways. But this particular way that Jesus used to describe the cross at this point is political in nature. Listen again to what he says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler, there's politics, now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus says that the cross makes plain what the way of this world is, and who the ruler of this world is. That the cross itself makes plain to us what this world is all about. And the cross also makes plain to us who our God is, and what He is all about, and what His way is. John laid the foundation for this all the way back in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Describing Jesus, he said, He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his very own, and his own people would not accept him. Then in chapter 3, verse 19, And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, but people prefer the darkness over light. The contrast is drawn between the cross and the world and Jesus. Look at the cross. Behold, here is your God. Here is the way of God. A God who loves you. A God who is merciful. A God who is kind. A God who nurtures. A God who has given you everything that you have. This is our God. This is the way of our God.
Sometimes we call out to God, why don't you just show your face? I think his answer to that question is this. I did. And look what you did to me. Look at this cross and see your world. Because this cross brings to our eyes what this world is all about. This world in its injustice. This world in its violence. The cross lets us know where all of that goes. The cross lets us know what is the result of the way of the world. This world that entices us, that flirts with us, that tries to get us to go different ways, the ruler of this world who wants us to be his, the ruler of this world that keeps dangling little shiny objects in front of us and say, come on, come on, you can have this. Go this way, think this way, do this. The cross lifts up and shows that this is the way of the world. This is what the world leads to. The cross invites us to look up, to see the world, and to be appalled. It also asks us the question, so which side are you on? Are you on the side of a God who is the God of love and mercy, of grace and forgiveness? Or are you still on the side of a world that leads only to death. The cross causes us to be appalled. Let's stand and sing.